Cup and Go for March 20, 2023. Keep up to date with the news in the Go community in just 15 minutes per week. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Hall. And I'm your co-host, Shai Nechmad. How are you doing this week, Shai? I'm, I'm frazzled. I'm frazzled. I've, I have my water here, uh, which is not canonical for our show. It's a bottle, yeah. not a cup. Um, no. The listeners don't know, but we talked about Rust and not Go before the episode. Everything's going to hell, Jonathan. <sighs> Bring me back to my usual routine. Tell me what's going on and go. We have some great releases this week. The one that I'm excited about is the new version of Golang CI Lint. Version 1.52 is out. And the reason I'm excited about this is they finally closed the remainder of the generics issues. I think there were two outstanding uh, bugs. Two of the linters did not support generics yet, so had been disabled if you're running with Go version 1.18 or newer. They're all finally fixed. So if you've been holding out, as I was at a previous company, to upgrade your Go version because you wanted your linters to work, you can stop holding out. You can stop using Go 117 and finally come up to modern Go versions and still get all the amazing shiny benefits of going CI Lint. I'm sending it in internal Slack right now. Let's upgrade. <laughs> On a similar topic, uh, Revive 1.30 and shortly after 1.31 were released. Uh, if you're not familiar, Revive is one of the linters that Golang CI Lint uses, and it's a drop-in replacement for GoLint that adds additional capabilities. So uh, that's also been updated. It wasn't a major update, but since we're talking about linters, might as well mention that one too. Also released this week uh, is Fast HTTP. And if you want to learn more about Fast HTTP and uh, hear from its creator, uh, Eric Doubleboer, you can listen to our latest episode where we interviewed him. Uh, this release includes a lot of you know different uh, documentation stuff, test stuff, uh, a lot of testing, and some optimizing as well. Support for Go 120, and just a whole lot of small fixes. If you are the one percent that needs super fast HTTP responses, then this library is for you. So I think this makes it for the releases this week. Uh, but there is something timely to talk about. Last call is today. Today? Really today? We have to put out this episode pretty fast, huh? Today. So today, today, um, for the uh, Conf42 call for papers. So if you have something to uh, talk about, you have (laughs) two hours from this recording, Jonathan. You better edit fast. (laughs) Um, So hand in your talk if you have one. Cool. So we talked about releases. Let's move to proposals. There's a lot of proposals this week. We're not going to talk about all of them. Uh, the big one, though, is that the structured logging proposal was accepted. So uh, we talked about this on the show before. I think we talked about it even last week when we said you know, it was the last chance to get your opinion in. It's finally been accepted. So we will be having a new log slash log package in the standard library. I hope it comes soon. I hope it's in 121, although I don't know how soon it will happen. Uh, but that's exciting for me. It happened. Log slash s log uh, initial commit. So I was hyped about, you know, seeing the. Nice. Th- there's already a commit with the s log package. A ton of code there, uh, so you can check it out. We'll put it in the, uh, you know, from Go review. So we'll put it in the show notes as well. Also in the discussion and you know proposal land, and also something we talked about in the past, the transparent telemetry discussion is uh, still ongoing. Uh, I think it, the the fire went down a little bit. Uh, the team decided to go with opt-in, and this became 
a normal proposal, just like all the all the others, and not a very contentious one. Uh, I hope it stays this way and stays productive. Uh, I don't know if this week could be considered uh, productive. Seemed like a little bit of silly bike shedding. Uh, but I guess you have to have a little bit of uh, that in every project. Yeah, so this week the discussion, I guess, was mainly on whether or not to include full strings in the report that's sent to, to Google, to the Go team, um, or if those should be obfuscated with index IDs. And I think the consensus generally was that obfuscating that would just be sort of privacy theater. It wouldn't really buy anything. Yeah, one thing that was interesting is you know the the more the proposal takes shape and and things become clear the benefits for end users and not just for the go team also becomes interesting like one thing that i found interesting was that that the telemetry uh, is sampled so you don't send everything uh every time you run like go build or go run or whatever but you do store it locally um so i assume someone will come up with a tool you know go inspect telemetry which shows you uh, statistics about your local execution. Um, assuming the Go team can take the telemetry and for the general case make things faster, perhaps people will come up with ways to take the telemetry and make the you know their specific uh, work setup more optimized. Which is an angle I didn't even think about, but you know more data about the tools we run should lead to better decisions. And hopefully, you know the telemetry is also useful for one person or one machine running for like a few weeks and not just for a million people running in a single day. So the discussion is still ongoing. And I think due to sampling and like data science tools and whatever, they have sort of dealed with the garbage data problem where because it's super anonymized, IP and whatever is not stored, uh, someone could uh, shove uh, bad data into the system. But I'm not sure how they fully resolved it. Like if someone has interest in putting garbage data into the system, for example, someone is doing academic research into being a, a bad actor in the space, I don't see how they could protect from that. Mm -hmm. And this is not some like theoretical, right? This already happened in the past with the Linux kernel. Uh, there was some university, I don't remember which one, uh, right. where students did a research and they published it, like published a paper into uh, purposefully introducing vulnerabilities into the Linux kernel, which coincidentally got the entire university banned from the Linux kernel project ever again. And rightly so, I would say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I would wonder how they would protect from that without, you know, storing, like recording the IP address or whatever with the report. But yeah, it's moving along. I think it would be great the moment it goes in, the Go team will have a lot of uh, good information to steer the project forward. What other proposals do we have on the table? Yeah, so there's a new proposal, or I don't know if it's new, but it's, it's an open proposal, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, it's for the context package, and it's to add a basically a, the option to register a callback that will be called when the context is canceled. If you do any heavy programming with context, you've probably created something like this before. So I think it's a good proposal. It looks like it's likely to be accepted, uh, although it's not the official status right now. But the last comment from four days ago from Russ Cox says, have all concerns about this proposal been addressed? So I think I wouldn't be surprised if next week it has the official likely accept status. But as it stands, basically the proposal is to create a new function in the context package. Uh, I believe it would be called after funk, although maybe there's, there's done, a couple different maybe. proposals for the name. And that was the first one. That's what it, the original proposal was. Just do on done. 
Although near, near the end of the discussion, it looks like it's called after funk. I don't know. I think undone is more intuitive, but whatever it would be, it, you'd pass an existing context and then a function that would be called when that context is canceled. And the main reason to put this in a standard library rather than letting people roll their own is that there are some opportunities for better improvement. You know, basically, the way you do it normally is you, you launch a Go routine in the background that waits till it context canceled. This would allow you to do it in a way that doesn't require an extra Go routine, so it's slightly more performant, which could matter if you're, say, one of the users of fast HTTP and you really, really care about extra garbage collection and high performance. Where I'm slightly worried about this is when you have to roll out your own implementation, then you write your own test, and you know you 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 don't feel comfortable that it's something from the standard library. Mm-hmm. But if uh, a standard library rolls something like undone and you can pass a pointer and it only happens after you cancel, I assume, I don't know, at least in the first few months of this uh, being in the air, uh, we're going to have a few people introducing nil pointer exceptions to their production stacks um, because they passed in a value and uh, and uh, like a pointer to a value. The context was canceled. It was released because they're out of scope and whatever. And then the undone function is called and they get a nil pointer exception or a DB closed exception or, uh, you know, some cleanup yeah. code already exists and then they're trying to migrate to the new thing. Tests aren't usually very good in in looking into these uh, scenarios. They they look at happy paths and not like cleanup paths. Uh, so this could be an issue. I, I think it's going to be hard to use uh, well, even though it is um, a strong proposal. And next up, improve ergonomics of FMT.print-like functions. This uh, this one hasn't gotten a lot of attention yet. I'm bringing it up because it's interesting, although I don't personally like it very much. <laughs> the, the hope of the proposal is to encourage us to use more efficient versions of print functions rather than printf, sprintf, and fprintf, because those are you know fairly low performance. Yeah, you know, There's a lot of string interpolation and, and reflection that goes on there. Uh, so the idea is to come up with some ways, some functions that would take away the need to call the printf-related functions. The proposal is to add a function called error, which takes a variadic list of arguments of any type and returns an error. And it does some magical error wrapping. There's been some debate in the discussion thread about how that error wrapping should be done if you have more than one error in there. Another function is called type, which just returns the type of the argument passed. So similar to the percent capital T uh, argument in fprintf, uh, but this would be a way to get that same value without having to, to call the heavy fprintf or, or, or sprintf uh, function. And then there's a few others, some value formatting stuff. So anyway, it's, it's kind of an interesting idea. Um, I don't really think it would solve the problems it's aiming to solve, but I could be wrong. And even the, the author of the proposal doesn't know that this is sort of a guess. I feel like it's just kind of a shot in the dark, but it's an interesting proposal. If, you, if you've been concerned or frustrated by having to call fprintf or printf all the time, Go have a look at this proposal. See if you think it makes sense. Uh, maybe you can shed some light on your use cases, and maybe we can find a way to improve this. I really like the methodology of the proposal, even if it I I, I don't agree with the conclusion where the uh, the proposer just downloaded the, like very uh, ubiquitous Go projects and gripped, tried to find a you know print and println and sprint and whatever oh, yeah. debugf. Uh, calls in the code um, and and then from that try to see which formatting values are used very unsurprisingly the easy and comfortable um, you know percent v is the number one by far 
which is what I reach for every time I do printf without thinking about it. And then I go back and fix uh, if I need a number. Oh, yeah. Nice. And around the community, uh, we found two interesting stuff to talk about this week. The first one is the meeting minutes from the Go compiler team. If you remember, we talked about profiler guided optimization. So there are some results from the field. Uh, the first uh, PGO results from a Google internal app talks about 2.75% CPU increase with some manual process behind it that I literally went, copied the profiles and converted them to PProf and then fed it into the uh, PGO. You know, there are some Google-specific stuff there, which I assume we can't see, but the results are in and it works. 3% CPU increase practically for free. There are some concerns there, PII in the profiles, ease of use, and like some flags and some whatever, but it does look like it's, it works well. And it is going to be on by default in uh, Go 121. And on the complete opposite side of the spectrum in the, in the community, let's talk about some, uh, some hate mail. We got hate mail, right? Someone hates our show? Uh, no, not yet. I didn't get any hate mail yet. Uh, oh. I actually got quite a few nice comments in Stack Overflow and on email and on LinkedIn and on Slack about the podcast. Uh, now I'm talking about Reddit. There was a post making the rounds uh, about two weeks ago called What Sucks About Golang. I just saw it in my feed, so so took a while to get to me. And talking about it with some people, I found that there's a post called Lies We Tell Ourselves to Keep Using Golang. I don't know how much I, I stand behind everything that's written there. It's a bit of a rant. It's a rant that comes up after uh, a different rant called I Want Off Mr. Golang's Wild Ride. Maybe you saw it on Hacker News, on Reddit, on like lobsters. You know, he's trying to talk from the different, from a, from basically a side of someone who doesn't like Go. There are some interesting points in the post itself. Basically sounds like someone who's been burned by bad Go code too many times. And since we are working with other Go developers, I think it's worth noting that not everybody loves the language and, and thinks it's simple, great, useful for beginners. Some people don't connect to it and, and it's important to you know, empathize with them and, and understand why if you, if you do wanna embrace Go in your projects. It's a long read. If you have a half hour at the train ride, maybe you can uh, chew through the blog. And also this uh, talks about you know, the, the original thread of what sucks about Go uh, reminded me of your video, Jonathan, where you talk about stuff that you didn't, didn't like about Go. Yeah. So I wonder if there's, some, if there's some match there, like stuff that was mentioned in the Reddit thread that you mentioned as well in your video. But one thing I really connected with was dealing with private Git repos better because... Uh, yeah, that's one that didn't make my video. It probably should have... That's one that annoys me. Here's one complaint I agree with that didn't make my video, although I disagree with the reason. Uh, the, the commenter says, for a language whose primary reason Datre is supposed to be building web applications, the standard library's JSON handling is an abomination. Uh, I, I agree that the standard library's JSON handling is poor, although I don't know what they think is an abomination. I don't agree that Go's reason to exist is web applications per se, but that's maybe not really relevant to the discussion. One thing that I found that I was happy to see was uh, the variable equals variable. Someone just wrote it, wrote a TT, walrus operator TT, 
It talks about the uh, capturing the loop variable gotcha that there's uh, you have to mm-hmm. uh, recapture the the loop inside a variable because otherwise stuff breaks. And we talked about this on the show because uh, fixing it requires a breaking change. Uh, but the Go team is rolling out some changes to Go mode and then some some other stuff to make that happen. So this change is going to happen, and this comment will will you know age like milk, like Reddit likes to say. <laughs> So if you find stuff there that you think you can maybe fix, hand in a proposal instead of uh, just complaining on uh, Reddit. But also keep complaining on Reddit because it's important to hear your voice. And of course, we like to ask the question anyway, indirectly, to all of our guests when we ask them, what would you remove from Go? So I I guess we're we're encouraging this sort of conversation, even if it's a little bit less ranty maybe than these posts are. Yeah, but if we, you know, took the union of all the proposals of all our... I guess I don't think we'll have a functioning language left. So, you know, some people, <laughs> you have to remove generics. Some people, you have to keep generics. Some people, I, I think, you know, if you combine all the vectors of all the different directions our interviewees wanted us to take, you'll end up at exactly the same spot. Yep. And this makes it for, you know, this week's uh, news. Stick around after the break for an interesting interview with Tamir Friedman who works with me and has a very interesting uh, talk in a Gopher Meetup this week. This is the part of the show where we would love to tell you about our amazing sponsor, but we don't have one. If you'd like to buy this spot, be sure to contact us. You can reach out to us for sponsorship opportunities or for anything else at news at cupago.dev or find us, of course, on the web at cupago.dev. We're also on Slack at Cup of Go, Kebab Case, on the Gopher Slack. If you enjoy this show, be sure to leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this with a friend. Hello and welcome to the interview segment of our exciting episode. We are joined today by Tamir Friedman. Hi, welcome, Tamir. Welcome to the show. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Um, we're going to be talking about your project called Beyond Go. But before we do that, would you talk a little bit about who you are, maybe what you do, how you're involved in Go, whatever you'd like to tell us. I'm a software engineer or a DevOps or a lot of other things, uh, including a dancer. <laughs> and uh, I studied in the Technion, uh, my first degree, and then in the middle of the master's degree, I took, uh, took it off and went uh, for the, for this uh, startup. And um, my favorite approach to almost any subject is uh, through the theory and the math behind it. Did you say you're a dancer? Yeah. What kind of dance do you do? Genres uh, like uh, hip-hop, afro, uh, modern. Very cool. Yeah. I do uh, I do salsa and bachata and I've done a little bit of uh, zouk, some zouk hip hop. Ah, zouk, it's a very advanced uh, dance. Yeah, yeah. Nice. But I like dancing too. So tell us about your project. Uh, it's called Beyond Go. Um, why would anybody want to go beyond Go? Isn't Go perfect? Um, you can't see me smiling, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing about that. It was a completely sarcastic comment. <laughs> Actually, there are a lot of things great about Go, like the uh, even things that people don't think about, like the compilation and the build, if you compare it to the build, uh, the CICD of Java or Python or JavaScript, it's a lot better. You can just create a binary and put it inside an Alpine image, and uh, voila, you go 
into production uh, with a safe uh, container. And uh, the documentation, you have a standard for online documentation. It's things that you don't have in other languages. Uh, other than the performance and the concurrency, uh, that it's, of course, a big advantage. Okay. And I think the major advantage, other than um, you have a one-stop shop, it's called uh, Go. I, I liked, uh, the, for the most, the values of uh, freedom and uh, that you, uh, all languages are just uh, behind, behind the curtain are just a C, and uh, it's all the same. So you can uh, go from one to another, because uh, Go, its initial implementation was in C. Today it's uh, mostly pure Python, a uh, pure Go, but Python, uh, its implementation, it's also C Python, and the JavaScript implementation, it's in V8. And uh, it's all the same behind the, the scenes. Generally, the lecture is about using other languages with Go, to utilize all the, you know, all the benefits you said you already have. But practically, what does it mean? What did you manage to implement and how, how does it work? Which languages can I now use in Go if I implement your methods? So a lot of languages like uh, JavaScript and Python and Go have uh, integrations with uh, C. And then you can create C bindings. And uh, from here, uh, there are a lot of uh, projects like uh, GoPy and uh, V8Go, that, uh, for example, the GoPy makes you the en enablement to run uh, the Go packages from inside Python, if you'd like, and the V8 makes you uh, be able to run uh, JavaScript inside uh, uh, the Go, uh, like it was uh, just a node. And um, I think it makes you as a Go programmer be able to integrate with all other languages without knowing other languages. You can uh, create a <coughs> code for uh, data analysts and uh, use code that wa was um, created for uh, web developers. You can utilize it in the, in the backend. Uh, it's like the premise of the, of the full stack with the JavaScript in the backend. So now you can have uh, Go in the frontend. If you'd like, you can compile Go to WebAssembly and uh, be a full stack developer uh, with Go, not with JavaScript. Jonathan, you had some experience with that, right? Well, kind of. I'm one of the co-maintainers, um, the, the least active of the two co-maintainers of the Go4JS project, which compiles Go into JavaScript. So I've done sort of the opposite. I've run Go in JavaScript. <laughs> So it, it's, it predates the uh, WebAssembly uh, target to go. And in fact, it's written by the same person. Uh, Richard um, Mosul wrote Go4JS initially and then wrote the WASM support for Go. And so it basically, yeah, both, both of those do essentially the same thing. They, they convert Go code into either JavaScript or WebAssembly, respectively. So that, that's the experience I have uh, with kind of mixing the two. Although I've definitely been interested in running javascript within go uh even within the go for js project because one of the things we do to build that project is we uh we run it through a minimizer which means calling an external dependency you know calling node.js with all of its dependencies and so on 
So we've talked about trying to run that all within Go just to simplify the, the build pipeline. So I'm, I'm really curious about uh, exploring that at some point in the future and trying to run Uglify uh, JS or, or Webpack or whatever within a Go binary. Uh, so uh, to be clear, uh, there are uh, two kinds of options for integration uh, of uh, JavaScript inside Go. Uh, the first one is actually using PureGo, uh, which uh, has uh, uh, packages like uh, Goja and uh, Otto. And uh, the problem is that it's not the native implementation of uh, JavaScript. It has uh, some bugs with uh, regex, for example, and it supports only JavaScript until uh, ECMA 5, I think, which is before uh, uh, promises. Uh -huh. And uh, if you want uh, JavaScript with limits, all JavaScript that just work purely in, in Go, and it also be able to compile to WebAssembly because uh, C extensions uh, doesn't have this ability to be compiled into WebAssembly, then you could you can go for it. But if you want uh, the the main the main path of uh, JavaScript and you want it. Uh, with the optimizations of uh, V8, which is highly optimized, uh, then you probably should go for uh, the binding. Yeah, that seems like the more complete uh, approach that I would probably look at. The other use case I have where where the, the more limited approach might work, um, I also maintain, I wrote and maintain the CouchDB, well, a CouchDB driver for Go. And one of the things that CouchDB does is it lets you create JavaScript views on your document data store. And I've thought about, I mean, in fact, I, I've written partial support to, to run CouchDB-like databases on a file system. So you're just a directory structure. But there's no way to do views on that. So I've thought about trying to run, execute uh, JavaScript within, within Go for that purpose. So that I, would, I would probably look at both of those options for that and choose the one that, that works the best. So that's another, another place where I may in the future be executing JavaScript within Go. So, Tamir, what's the specific use case that, that you were required to introduce JavaScript to Go other than the fact that it's super, super cool? Uh, so I have a manager uh, called uh, Shai in the, in the specific project. Uh, he asked me <laughs> to use uh, a package, a nice package, really nice package. But the problem is it's uh, written in uh, JavaScript. And uh, what the hell? What should I do? And... Uh, I thought the fastest approach was uh, to just run it uh, inside Go and not uh, going implementing uh, a CI/CD and uh, deployment for a JavaScript service, uh, which is uh, will give me a lot of work in my other uh, job as uh, DevOps. So I think that's really the the crux. You you unlocked the ability to use the very rich ecosystem of uh, JavaScript libraries without having to port the library, which I think is the, I think maybe the, the biggest value uh, of, this, uh, of this change. Like I have a library I like in JavaScript. I can just use it in my Go uh, service. It's not super out of the box, but I can now, uh, which is a whole different approach to really setting up microservices and another build pipeline, etc. Yeah, so it was very easy for a package that it's mostly a logic package and it has no no much side effects and uh, because the problem with this uh, going in this way is that it's very hard to debug things. 
uh, if you want to debug uh, an, a code execution that goes from Go, from Go inside the JavaScript and then call a callback that you, it can, can be possibly back, go back to Go because uh, you can close the loop and uh, run callback uh, written in Go and inject it inside the JavaScript uh, program. And uh, it's pretty hard to debug if it's becoming a big project. Then I think if you have to use a lot of JavaScript and in a complex way, then probably this is not the way you should go. But uh, if it's, uh, like you said, a small library and uh, it's a close approach such that uh, anyone from outside shouldn't know uh, it's written in JavaScript, then uh, it's a great example for using it. So if people want to check out Beyond Go and what you've been working on and learn more about it, where could they hear about it? So in the 22 of March, uh, in Wednesday, uh, two days from now, <laughs> I'm going to lecture about it in the conference of Go in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, and uh, I'm going to show how you can uh, call, uh, invoke uh, JavaScript from Go and also run Go in the front end and uh, invoke the JavaScript from inside Go from inside Python. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun and freedom and uh, equal access for languages from within other languages. And I think it uh, has a lot of uh, good values inside it. Very cool. Do you know if that will be recorded for people who can't attend the meetup? Uh, I'm not sure, but okay. uh, it's going to be uh, in Hebrew. So I'm not sure if uh, if the global audience uh, yeah. is a target for this lecture. Fair enough. Cool. Anything you'd like to add before we close out the interview? Anything we should have asked about that we forgot to? Uh, you said something about uh, special questions. Ah, uh, yes, yes, we do have special questions. First one: If we, if somebody comes up to you and holds a gun to your head and says, "Tamir, you have to take a feature out of Go," what would that feature be? Oh, of course, Differs. I think Differs. It's uh, the worst uh, feature in Go. Uh, it make a mess with all, with all the scoping of variables oh. and uh, the executed uh, when, when it's executed and when the assignment happened and when it takes the values if it's when you define the differ or when you call it and uh, they could actually implement it like a with in Python and I think it would be a lot, lot better. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, we had a specific bug with that. Uh where Tamir and I work, where you defer the log and you log the parameters to an API function. But if some of them were pointers, they would change throughout the API and you would just log the wrong things and you were like ripping our hairs out. Uh, I, but <laughs> just to clarify, I disagree with Tamir completely and I think defer is a beautiful keyword because it allows me to push off work <laughs> to later, which is something I really like to do. Oh, of course. We just need a procrastinate feature to replace it. And uh, the flip side of that, if we could, if you could add a feature to Go, what would you like to see added? Uh, of course, I think immutability. If uh, Go uh, pretend to be a functional language, there is no uh, functional language that doesn't support uh, immutable variables and uh, null safety and pure functions. I think it's a must for Go for being a, a good uh, functional language. I 100% agree. I would love to see that. Well, 
thank you for coming on and sharing your experience about going beyond Go, uh, even within the Go ecosystem. It's pretty cool that uh, we have this flexibility these days to, to mix and match different ecosystems. So I think that's awesome. If people want to reach out and uh, and get in contact with you, are you on on LinkedIn or social media? How can they get in touch with you? <laughs> I guess in the Telegram. <laughs> so we'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes. Thanks a lot, Tamir. Now back to work. It was a really pleasure.